incoming transmission from Planet X. Hello, my little aliens. Thank you for joining another episode of the Planet X podcast. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about Magic the Gathering. So, my favorite game, just going to put that out there, my favorite game of all time to play is Magic the Gathering. And to understand why I love Magic so much, it kind of helps to know both where like I was at the time that I picked the game up and where the game was. For me personally, the year was 1996. I was 12 years old. I was starting junior high. My parents were going through a divorce. So it was an awkward time in life. Not only was like I changing, but like my world was changing. And in junior high, I met a, a new friend. We were both on the junior high football team named Ian. He and I are still friends to this day. And he introduced me to the game Magic the Gathering. Set-wise, we were playing 4th edition. Uh, Ice Age alliances were still in stores. And you could get magic cards most anywhere at the time. I, I started collecting heavily in the Mirage block. So you had the main set of Mirage and then the two minor sets of Visions and then later on Weatherlight. So... As I got more in the game, started collecting more heavily. So the next block that came out was the Tempest block. We had Tempest, we had Stronghold, we had Exodus, and then into the Urza's block and the Arcadian block. So this is around getting around to my sophomore year in high school and kind of where I stepped away from the game for the first time. So, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little while. But what was great is there the internet was still it was there obviously but you couldn't play magic online so everything was physical it was tabletop and a lot of what i loved about the game is the sort of creativity that went into the deck building and i bring that up because to me the deck building is kind of one of the things that's changed the most about the game at the same time staying the same Obviously, you still are going to play with a 40-card deck in a draft tournament. You're still normally going to play with a 60-card deck and your sideboard um, you know, in a constructed deck tournament. But what I loved about the game then, and what I still try to bring to the game now, is just creativity born of economic constraints. And what I mean by that is, obviously, growing up, I only bought cars with my allowance, you know? Like, that's what I spent my allowance on for roughly three years. Packs of Magic the Gathering. You want to get me a present? Get me some packs of Magic the Gathering. And my selection of cards was limited to whatever I got from those packs, whatever I could trade with my friends for, or if I ever bought, like, a single, like, what my local card shop had. So there wasn't really buying a lot of stuff on the internet. You know, it did buy some stuff off eBay every now and again, maybe something from Card Kingdom, but that was the exception, not the rule. And also, when I was playing tournaments, things like that, like, I really had no idea about what winning deck lists were or anything like that. So I knew how well my decks were performing, and then I would have I other ideas that I would try to construct as best I could with the cards that I had. And I think that 
is better and more just relevant to life and making do with what you've got, you know, making the best of whatever situation you're in, adapting, conforming, things like that. One of the things that has sort of disillusioned me in times when I've come back to the game in the tabletop format. So I played again around the time of the release of Zendikar and then came back again in the Amonkit block, Hour of Devastation, played through Ixalan. And what I saw was less of people sort of exploring their own ideas and more of people just copycatting whatever was on Star City games. And to me, that takes something away from the game. Like, if... You're going to invest the time and the money, you know, I mean, I get, I totally get, do what winners do. No one likes losing. If you, if you saw a deck that kicked ass at a tournament, build that deck. You would likely kick ass, you know, wherever you're playing. But at the same time, to me, that takes some of the fun and ingenuity out of the game. I, Obviously, someone took the time on their own to concoct that deck, and you're just copycatting it. So to me, that takes away a little bit of the purity of the game. So even on playing MTG Arena now, what I notice is, you know, I play a lot of different people, but I play a lot of the same kinds of decks, right? So obviously, either everyone's sort of having the same idea, or people just sort of copycat the decks that they know are winning and then you just try to play that and you know it 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 makes the game sort of predictable in a way that it wasn't when I was playing you know as a teenager because I never knew what someone else was going to have or you know because I was playing against their idea not some template they copied that they know won a tournament once upon a so what do I keep coming back so the short answer is Magic is just the ultimate game. You have your 60-card deck, you have your sideboard, and you have this infinite variation on choice and adaptability. But the goal remains the same. Reduce your opponent's life total to zero or make it so they cannot draw a card. And then you win! So you have so so many complex mechanics and variations on deck building that you can use with a rather like simple goal in mind. And that's that's why I come I keep coming back to it because every color is going to have the things that it does well. And what I also love is there's really no perfect way to play the game. There's no perfect deck. There's no deck that is unbeatable to every other deck. Any deck can lose to any other deck, no matter how good it is. And that's because of the randomness of a shuffle and the randomness of a draw. No matter what you put in your deck, you can have a game where everything you need to win the game doesn't come up at all or doesn't come up in a sufficient quantity or at the right time to allow you to be victorious, which to me, again, is just a life lesson. Sometimes things, no matter how well you plan or how well you execute, sometimes things just don't work out. But what magic also gives you the ability to do is examine why you lost, where you went wrong, and make changes. So a deck is not fixed. You know, you have to keep it the same when you're playing in a tournament. 
but if you see a weakness exposed over and over again, you can go back to the drawing board and find a way to address it and then come back and try again. And if that doesn't work, you try something else. And I think that is just so relevant and true to life that like it keeps it keeps the game relevant no matter what age you're at. But what I also love is in keeping when I said that there's sort of like no perfect deck, one of the things wizards and the game designers have done so well over the years is is not making anything that's all powerful. Certainly there are cards that are very powerful, especially when used in a certain way or in a combination with another card. So you can make a very potent deck, but everything has a weakness. Every spell can be countered. Most creatures can be killed. So it's, there's not like any sort of like godlike card that just trumps all others. There's always a way to remove it or deal with that card in some way. So I'm going to use the example of a card I've built several decks around in Arena recently. One of the like the most magic cards I think they've ever created is the Scoot Swarm. I fucking love the Scoot Swarm card. So it for anyone who may be listening that is unfamiliar, it is from the Ikoria set. It is a three mana, two colorless, one green, one one that creates an insect token every time you play a land up till your sixth land, and then it creates a copy of itself. So immediately you can see sort of the upside. If you build a deck that plays like a lot of cultivates or other cards that are there to bring your lands into the game faster, then you can potentially get to that sixth land threshold fairly quickly where the card can just replicate itself and then it becomes a a quest of how many can I replicate enough of these fast enough to kill an opponent's attacking creatures can I attack with enough copies of this card to overwhelm their defenses there's there's a couple there's so many mechanics there but true to magic there's playing that card that doesn't automatically assume victory because it's a 1-1. It will die to anything. It can be countered when you play it. Any black removal spell, anything that would cause your creature to get a minus one, minus one, or to sacrifice a creature, or that destroys a creature, there's so many ways to kill it. When green, you can ram through. Red, you can shock it. Pretty much any burn spell will take it out. White is going to banishing light the damn thing. Blue is about the only color that isn't going to kill it, but they can put it right back in your hand and clog your hand up. So there's every color has a way of dealing with a spell like that. But at the same time, it's incumbent upon the player to say, if I'm going to build a deck around a scoot swarm and the upside it brings, then you have to make some choices to minimize the downside. And here's where the beauty of magic comes in. Because if I am going to play a deck that its goal is to make as many scoots as possible to try to overwhelm some defenses. Well, so you immediately, you see the upside. I can make a lot of these if I can play my lands And then you look for cards that can accentuate that. So you have your spells that'll bring your lands out. 
I love pairing it with an Ancient Green Warden, also from Ikoria, which makes their ability trigger twice, so that means I can make scoots at twice the rate that I otherwise would. As I've experimented with this idea, well, I've then it's like, okay, well, this is, this is one creature accentuated by one creature, so there's still a lot of room in a deck to build around. So then I started experimenting with mutating it, so an ancient, uh, a migratory great horn mutates it into a three, four and sucks a land out. So not only do I turn a one, one into a three, four, but now the copy I'm making of it is the three, four as well. And if I've got that green warden, well, now I'm making double the three, fours. And so you can create scenarios where you can generate a lot of these at one time, to not only create a lot of creatures, but create a lot of powerful creatures. So, but then again, what comes into play is I have to, for this to work, the damn thing has to survive. So immediately, like you see kind of one of the downsides of the deck is one, when you're casting something no sooner than say a third turn, if you're playing it aggressive, you're leaving it naked. You're leaving it defenseless. So, you know, you really only want to do that maybe against a blue deck where the worst thing that's going to happen is maybe they're going to put it back in your hand um, and you have to play it again on another turn. So, but at the same time, you know, that blue deck may have a lot of creatures out that are already pounding you. So a third turn creature that you're building a deck around is going to be slow to begin with. And if you're using like more setup creatures that maybe give you mana, those probably aren't creatures you really want to use as like cannon fodder for blockers. So I say that to say there's no perfect deck, right? So you're making choices. And if you're building around a scoot swarm, chances are you're probably going to get your ass kicked in the early going. A deck that is going to be built around a creature like a Scoot Swarm, you've got to survive an early onslaught. And also, to the point I made earlier about like every sort of color or deck having a weakness, a very aggressive red or white deck in standard is going to probably beat the shit out of you. It You're probably going to lose before you can ever get that card going. And again, this is one of the beauties of the game. There are decks that you would absolutely kick ass against and decks that will absolutely kick your ass in most cases. So, but going back to the Scoot Swarm, you know, we we have to decide how we're going to play this card. So playing it on a third turn, especially if you've only got one in your hand, is stupid because it's going to get killed. It's going to go to your graveyard and then you either need a spell to get it out or you got to wait until you draw another one. So then you're making choices. Do I put spells in this deck that are going to get it back out of my graveyard? Do I put counters? So as soon as I play it and I know that shock or that scorching dragon fire or the murder is coming right down the pipe, I can counter it. And that's kind of where I, I go back to saying the game's gotten a little predictable is because I know when I play it, like I know to have the counter because I know based on whatever color I'm playing, I know what comes next. Like I said, green and blue are about the only ones where you can maybe keep it, keep it safe if you're going aggressive with it. But then, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's room in a deck, right? 
you can make a deck theoretically as big as you want to. I've literally played against decks on Arena that are 200 cards, and I was unfortunately playing a mill deck against it, and it's like, okay, well, this isn't fun. I'm not going to mill a 200-card deck. But at the same time, when you so drastically increase the ratio of cards you need versus the cards in your deck, like, what's the point? And to me... The constraints of 60 cards are what makes the game so much fun because you have to make these choices. You have to make these sacrifices. One of which is if you're playing a deck that is predicated on getting a lot of lands out in the game, then you need a lot of lands. So if you're playing a a 60 card deck that's already going to have 24 to 25 lands in it, then you've already really limited a lot of choices right there. So when you add in four scoots, Maybe four migratory great horns and four, uh, if if you can get them, ancient green wardens. Since those are mythic rares, those are going to be more powerful cards. But also, again, two magics credit, much harder to come by. So you've already taken up. I think we've already talked about thirty, uh, almost forty cards here. So thirty nine cards with twelve creatures, which is not a lot. And 25 lands. So I've really only got 21 cards to play with here. And this is, I need spells that are going to get these lands out. And then you have to try to keep the Scoot Swarm safe. And at the same time, if you're adding no other creatures, then you are betting the farm on your combo working. And that's the vulnerability of the deck. It is a slow deck. And it is predicated on a few cards to work. If you disrupt the supply chain or you have these scenarios where the cards just never really come up, then the deck loses. And what I also love and hate is even if you do everything right, let's say I wait till that fifth turn and I play the Scoot Swarm, I leave two mana available with a counter to take something out, you know, your opponent always has the chance to react. So my strategy is predicated on them really only having maybe one spell in their hand by this time that's going to take my creature out. If they've got more than that, then I've miscalculated. And again, the deck starts to fall apart. And that's kind of the beautiful and frustrating thing about magic is... One one card isn't all powerful, but one card can either win you a game or lose you a game. And these cards that I'm talking about, a card that would exile the creature, kill it, it, you know, these aren't the mythic rare cards that do that. They're the commons. They're the cards that everyone is going to have. So while magic can be really expensive, if you're just going to buy pack after pack after pack, or you're trying to buy all the mythic rares and have four copies just to have that. uh, One of the things about magic is you don't need every card. You only ever play with a fraction of the cards you ever collect. And the most common cards are often the most effective cards in the game. That's not to say the cards that are of the uncommon rarity or rare or mythic rare, they add their mechanics in a powerful way, but they also come at a cost, both monetarily and within the game. So a big creature that makes my scoot swarm more effective like an ancient green warden is a six mana card. 
And so I'm counting on everything going right for this card to work. I'm counting on one that I've gotten my lands out and that two that I've got scoot swarms already in the game for them to multiply. If any part of this is already broken down, if I'm playing a green warden by itself, I've probably already gotten my ass kicked, especially against an aggressive deck. And so again, I not to beat a dead horse. There are decks that this works against and then decks that it doesn't. If I'm playing an aggressive white or or uh, red deck, then I've probably already lost. If I'm playing a green deck that builds to big creatures like the 7-7s seven or the 10-10s, ten things like that, a 5-7 green warden isn't going to do much there either. So it's the give and take. It's the choices that you have to make that make and keep the game interesting. And here I want to give the game makers, I want to give Wizards of the Coast some credit because every set they're managing to introduce mechanics or reintroduce mechanics that keep the the formats fresh, you know, like standard or historic. Um, and, you know, they, they keep an element of originality in the game. So the new set Strixhaven, it's basically magic's take on Hogwarts and it's, it's done pretty well. I like the mage craft mechanic. If you're casting an instant or a sorcery or copying it, you know, there's an advantage to these creatures whenever you do that. Obviously the deck I've been describing, the scoot swarm is predicated on the landfall mechanic of bringing more lands and lands, entering the battlefield, triggering these abilities. So switching gears, I've talked about I'm playing this on Arena now. So, I mean, obviously during COVID, we're social distancing, you know, we're quarantining, although thankfully we're on the downside for people who have been vaccinated. But I haven't played the tabletop game in a while. And so, I, I mean, I predominantly play on Magic the Gathering Arena, especially now that it's out for iOS and Mac OS. So I want to give... Credit to the Wizards team for finally bringing the game to these platforms. Kind of a little finger wag, especially for not having it on iOS since iPhones have been, you know, a, a, a sort of major part of the landscape for quite a while now. So I think we were a couple of years too late getting that out. That's just a personal opinion, but it's out now and I'm happy for it. So what I love about Arena is... It's it is so good in a way that I I didn't have when I picked the game up of teaching the game. I learned the game from a friend and I I learned it based on one the little rule books they used to include in the fat packs and two from just playing it with a friend who knew how to play it. I like that Arena starts you off with like color specific decks introduces you to the mechanics in those and actually like basically has you play through all of the color challenges to one start a collection and to get familiar with how the game is played before like you start unlocking more decks and just kind of go off on your own in getting packs so arena does that very well now i do have some qualms about arena's economy Beyond sort of the introductory phase, like it does seemingly eventually become harder 
to get the rare wild cards and the mythic rare wild cards. I would love to see something introduced where you could purchase these things on their own. So it's a little bit easier to complete a deck idea instead of like spending blanketly for more packs to accumulate basically cards. You're probably already going to have. So we could fix, we could fix that on the economy. I know there are gripes. I've read articles on the drop rate on, you know, some of the, the myth, mythic archive cards and things like that, that all needs to be worked out. And I hope that they do get to that eventually. The other, the other thing I'm going to gripe about on arena is that it's buggy. Like for, for a company that seemingly took their time getting this product to Mac OS and to iOS, I've had numerous, numerous glitches. I've had, I like I said before, I've crashed the damn game. Admittedly, I was asking it to make about 500 tokens at a time, but while that would be very hard math for a tabletop player for a computer, that should really be nothing, you know? So I, w- I expect more from the technology that they have available versus the performance that we get. It's often very slow waiting for the t- waiting for servers to catch up, waiting for like you know, phases within your turn to, to kick in, or sometimes it gets stuck. There's been plenty of times where I've been trying to attack and it just simply won't let me. So you wind up skipping. So you shouldn't lose anything from, you shouldn't lose a game or have a negative experience because of the limitations of technology. If you're going to bring the game to the digital format, make sure you can do it well. And, to to sort of counterpoint that, like I've played uh, Hearthstone, that app, I, I didn't have any issues playing that in an app form. So I shouldn't have any issues playing Magic the Gathering, especially with the amount of time they've had with these technologies. The other thing I'm going to gripe about, and this is a personal gripe, I really have no evidence on this, but... I find so many of the draws that I get in Arena unrealistic. And to highlight that point, I'll use the example of a blue-green deck that I've been running. It's one of my mini Scoot Swarm variations. And it's a deck that is very evenly split between both green and blue. And there's games that I play not, not on a monthly, not on a weekly, but on a daily basis where my opening draw may be all of one color to where I get like all green uh, cards and like maybe two to three forests. And then I mulligan and the next seven card draw is all blue. And if it was like, if this was a thing that had happened maybe one time, then I would not be complaining about it now because understanding within the realm of probability, sure, this absolutely does happen. But in arena, it happens almost every day. And that is to me more often than it would occur naturally in a tabletop setting, which leads me to believe there's some sort of just probability thing happening like some sort of like randomness that just it just keeps popping up and to me to me it 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 detracts from the game because it just seems to happen too often 
But aside from the the lagginess, the bugs, and my own personal qualms with draws, so you may be listening to this pod, uh, and I hope you've made it this far and hear me say that, and that may not be your experience at all. Uh, message me. Hit me up at Planet X Pod on Instagram or the Planet X Pod uh, page on Facebook. Let me know what your thoughts on Magic the Gathering Arena are. are you, do you have that same issue, or is it, does my deck just suck? If if my deck just sucks, then my deck just sucks. I can accept that. The praise I want to heap on Magic the Gathering Arena and the Wizards team in general is that when the servers and everything are working, they're not bogged down, the game mechanics work really well. I mean, sure, there have been bug fixes for the way cards interact. It's a, it's a very complex game for a computer to handle. So the fact that aside from some speed and reliability issues, it has the mechanics down is a testament in and of itself. So I am so happy that this is a thing that exists that Wizards has, for the most part, gotten right. Secondly, the views like in the deck building... I'm I'm a fan. So is there some wonkiness in terms of like just looking at your collection to look at it? I think so. Like you're always doing it within the context of like trying to edit a deck, not necessarily just seeing what you have and trying to glean deck ideas from it. But even that caveat is light years ahead of the boxes and boxes of cards I have amassed over the years and trying to go through all of those physically to try to find if I have a copy of a certain card and then it's an all-day thing sorting through cards. Doing this in a digital format is so much better than the physical product to the point where I don't see myself going back to the physical cards. Uh, that tabletop experience, that community, it's great. And I embraced it in a different time. But on the flip side, I am someone who will only collect the physical copy of a comic. I do not read digital comics. I have no interest in digital comics. I, I like the physical thing. They do take up a lot of space. Space in a house or an apartment is limited, so I'm making a choice that I will go digital with Magic the Gathering so I can keep collecting the physical com- the physical copies of comic books. The last bit of praise I want to heap on Magic before we sign off for this episode, because I think, man, this one's this one was a lot longer than I thought it was gonna be, is praise for how long this game has kept going. Alpha came out in August of 1993. There were already thousands of cards and, you know, many sets out when I picked the game up in 1996. And to see that the game is still enduring all these years later is such an amazing... It's such a testament to the amazing game that Richard Garfield made and that Wizards has kept going with this creative team all these years. Um, I mean, I can't think of any other game. And I've played several other card games. You know, I played Battletech back in the day, which was also a Wizards product. I collected a little bit of the Star Wars game that was out in the 90s. These games lasted a couple of years at most. They, They came in, they fizzled. So only really... Pokemon 
has had a similar staying power, but much less frequent on set releases, and it started after Magic the Gathering. So we'll cover Pokemon in another episode. I have very polarizing opinions on Pokemon. Stay tuned for that. So I I cannot thank wizards and richard garfield enough for the product that they put out and you get so many sets a year like it it keeps going now sound off like message me how long do you think magic actually endures i mean obviously people can still play the game as long as there are physical copies or digital copies you know the game can endure in perpetuity technically but Sound off if you if you listen to the episode. Do you think there will always be new sets, or do we reach a future where fewer sets come out, or sets come out less often? I mean, already we can see like a lot of stuff kind of starts to get recycled. You know, we've we've been back to Zendikar, we've been back to Ravnica, we're going back to Innistrad at the end of the year. We've been back to Dominaria. You know. Uh, do we go back to Wrath at some point? I hope so. Uh, but I feel like that story also pretty much wrapped itself up uh, already. You know, uh, do we go back to Ixalan? Do we go back to Kaldheim? You know, at, but at some point, like, how many times do you keep coming up with new stories set in the same in the same places? So... That's that's a question yet to be answered and a question I'm exciting to see how it gets answered. So thank you so much for sticking around this long. I hope if you don't play magic that I heard that I hope you heard the passion I have for it in this podcast and decide to give it a try. Again, arena is the best way to get that introduction to see basically at no cost if you even like the game or if it's something you're interested in pursuing and then you can spend as little or as much money as you want playing it i hope that you do come to embrace it for uh all of its beauty and its sophistication hit me up in the comments i am at planet x pod on instagram we've got the planet x web page on facebook I also do a little weekly Marvel show with my friend and the host of This Dad Does Disney and a co-host of Tonight We Marvel, Mr. Jason. So we do new shit has come to light on Saturdays. So those live stream on Facebook and on the stereo app. So uh, there's some other projects in the works as well. Not quite ready to talk about here yet, but... Uh, if you love my opinions on nerddom, I'm sure you'll love my opinions on politics even more. I mean, that's not polarizing at all, is it? So thank you, my aliens, for sticking around for this episode of Planet X. We'll catch you on the next one. Transmission is now complete.